Good morning, Highlands. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Good morning, Highland. My name is Shane Hughes, and uh, I am one of the ministers here. And frankly, I didn't think we would be doing it like this again this quickly. Um, I thought we'd have more time together, but uh, that's not the nature of what's happening in Abilene right now. And so we're just going to roll with it and do the best we can. There's kind of two aspects to how we understand what's happening with this virus. And the first is to remember that this whole situation is based in physics. This is a matter of proteins interacting with proteins. It's a matter of distance and velocity. It's a matter of infection and contagion. But if we have the eyes to see, we can almost imagine a deeper reality. That what we're dealing with right now is, is bigger than just physics because it's a matter of anxiety and fear. We're anxious for those that we love, that they remain safe. We're afraid for our, our well-being and our health. And we admit to one another that, that being sheltered in place is so much more than just not going out with our friends. And those of us that have, were gathered here last week could tell you how much better we felt what our, how our spirits were lifted when we were together. And so what we're doing right now isn't the ideal, but we're going to do it the best we can, and we're going to make it the best we can. And we are confident that the God who heals diseases and the God that calms our fears is the God that will be present to us even now, today. I'm not so happy to be a part again. I, I feel like the last week for me was that scene in, in Matrix. I think it's Reloaded Revolution. I can't remember which. But it's when they take the spaceship and they fly just over the cloud cover. And for a moment, people that hadn't seen the sun suddenly see the sun and they cover their eyes and then we crash back down into darkness. But what we're doing is so that, that we can do our best to value our neighbors, one another and those that are in our city and that we keep caring for the least of these in our community. And I look forward to seeing you, and I hope it's sooner than later. But today, we're going to think and talk about friendship. And what I want us to think about is as a true friend, not your best friend. Your best friend is the one that you might be, might be spending the most time with, but your true friend, and not your pretend friends or people that are just convenient for you to hang out with, your true friends. And I want you to briefly, just in your head, or maybe say it out loud to the person that's near you, I want you to count how many true friends you have, if you can name them. Just do that for a second. Count how many true friends you have. Most of us, in fact, studies show that most of us can count all of our true friends in our entire lifetime on one hand. They're pretty rare. 
And that's why it's so important when we encounter this story of, of Jonathan and David, and I'm so grateful for the way that Spencer kind of brought that story to life. It's Jonathan who loved David as himself. Jonathan who, who gave up the opportunity to be king, to be empowered, to have everything that he was supposed to have as the son of a king for the sake of a friend who was anointed by God. It's what, what it means to be faithful and loyal. And I, and I think it's interesting how rare friendships are in the Bible. And so I did two things this week to kind of think about that. One is I, I looked up how many times friend appears in the Bible, but then I also Googled what other people thought of the friendships in the Bible. And it was almost the same list every time. But if you looked at those relationships, I would define them more often as, as a family relationship, like Naomi and Ruth, although they may have been friends, they were family, or a mentor-protege relationship, like we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about this week, like Elijah and Elisha, who may have been friends, but had a very different relationship. There are very few friendships articulated in the Bible. In fact, the place where the word friend shows up the most is, is in the wisdom literature. And, and, you, and you will not lead the fullness of your life. This is the, the, the testimony of the wisdom literature. You will not lead the fullness of your life unless you are able to make and forge and keep true friends. Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I want to think about that for just a minute. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And our culture, uh, this is coming from a culture that's much more family-oriented than ours is. Family was your business. You all lived in the same house, even if you were married. And, and the fealty to fathers and the paterfamilia uh, was so strong. To break that bond meant punishment by death. Yet the author writes, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17 supports this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I love this because it acknowledges the truth. Your family is going to be there in times of adversity because they care for you and they love you, but they may not like you. They may not want to hang out with you, but they're going to be there for you. But a friend. A friend has chosen you. The root of that word in Hebrew is the same word for cleave. They are with you and they enjoy you. In the wisdom literature and the rest of scripture, there is a clear uniqueness to the relationship that we call friends. And I think what we're thinking about today is inspired um, by the way, from C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves, where he, he dives very deeply into these relationships, and friendship is one of those things. And the one thing I want us to realize is that true friendships are rare. 
And and I'm going to talk about true friendships as opposed to the swath of people that you might call friends because you eat lunch with them at work or because they have kids that are in the same class as your kids are. And most of these relationships are good and they're beneficial, but they aren't friends. Lewis agrees that they haven't been friends because they haven't been forged. They don't last through the difficult seasons, and they aren't, they aren't intimate. There is something about true friendships where, where when you open yourself up, when you allow yourself to become vulnerable, you're able to speak and hear truth in a way that you've never been able to hear it before. I love this quote uh, that I found this week. There are only two people that tell you the truth about yourself, an enemy when the, who has lost their temper and a friend who loves you dearly. I mean, you may think of the person that you eat lunch with at work as your friend, but if you moved away, would they call you? Would you call them? And that's okay. True friendships are rare. True friendships are hard to find. Just don't call those things, those relationships we have, a true friendship. And one of the reasons I think that they are so rare is because they take so much time to forge. I want you to, to think about it. Of all the relationships in your life, friendship is something, brings something that romance can't bring. Friendship brings something that family can't bring, that business partners can't bring. I totally made a mistake. I'm really sorry. I skipped a whole page of my sermon. This was going to be like a 13-minute sermon. But lucky for you, we're going to try again. Friendships have to be forged, meaning that there needs to be intention and purpose Y'all, I am going to go take uh, four weeks as a study break, and I can tell you right now, based on this, what just happened, I probably need it to work some stuff out. I don't know. We're going to see what happens. Friendships have to be forged, and, and meaning there needs to be intention and purposefulness. And it's, it's, friendship is rare to begin with, but because of the circumstances of our culture and that prioritizes almost everything else, most American men have very few friends outside of their spouse. And you can read about this if you read Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone. And it's what he calls the loss of social capital. It's the loss of those places and those opportunities for people to interact. Most men in America, and so if you feel this way, you're not alone. Their true friend is their spouse. And that may be the only true friend they have. And by the way, your spouse isn't supposed to carry that much freight. There are a lot of other things that your spouse needs to be for you and your spouse needs to do for you. And friendship doesn't necessarily have to be one of those things. It's because true friendships are are discovered. You can't make friends. You you discover them. It's what C.S. Lewis defines as that moment when you say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And it's, it's different from romantic love because you don't really want to look at the person. When you're in love, all you want to do is gaze into that other person's eyes and speak of the love you have and how powerful it is for you. This is why people write poems about love. But friendships don't really want to look at each other. 
you kind of just want to enjoy the same thing together. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, it says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness, pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. And that word pleasantness is sweetness. It's like, it's like honey. Scholars note that at this, at this time, sugar hadn't been discovered or was pretty much inaccessible in the ancient Near East. And honey was about the only way to sweeten food. And so you had to discover ways to make your food naturally sweet. And that was pretty much it. Friendship requires a common interest, a common goal, a common affinity. It must be discovered. Rolf Waldo Emerson, in his famous essay, wrote on friendship notes, friendship doesn't ask so much, do you love me, as do you see the same truth? This is why it's so hard to be friends with your lover, because lovers are face to face. Friends are shoulder to shoulder looking at the same thing together. And this is why it's hard to make friends, because the reality is you, you can't. The only way to make a friend is to become interested in something else. And then when you are completely enraptured by whatever that something else is, you look around to see who else is there. People who have nothing have nothing to share. People who are going nowhere have no one to go with. This explains, in every sense of the word, Comic-Cons before they were cool. Right? So like Comic-Cons 15 years ago, before Marvel made comic heroes and superheroes cool and mainstream, all the only people that went to a Comic-Con was a nerd. And the only reason that you went to a Comic-Con was not to see the cool costumes, because those weren't really there yet, and not to see famous stars, because people weren't really putting money into those kind of movies yet. The reason you went to Comic-Con is because you loved comics. You geeked out on that. You were a nerd. It was totally awesome to check that stuff out. You were the only kid in your entire town that would go to that thing. And you would trek. You would save. And when you got to Comic-Con and you found that one booth that had that one comic that you really wanted to see, it was one of those limited edition first Hulks. And you're looking at it. And then you notice a brush on your shoulder. Maybe, frankly, a little bit of body odor, let's be honest. And you look over and you see it's someone else who loves the same thing that you love. Not because it's cool, not because it gives them social capital, not because it somehow helps them in their life, but because they love it too. And all of a sudden, that person becomes a friend. It's true at Comic-Con and it's true in church. Friendships are discovered and friendships are, are forged. A friend loves at all times, not hanging out at all the time, but, but they're available at all times. Even when it's hard, even when everyone else has deserted you, uh, they're not there because you're useful to them. And to be honest, have you, have you had people who, who you keep around because they're useful to you? This was even true of Jesus. Remember Judas? Judas hung around Jesus because it was useful to him until it wasn't. 
I remember a story in, in one of the churches that I was at before this of a man who was accused uh, by his ex-wife of, of abusing his daughter. And he was found guilty. And when I went to talk to that man, there was a look of desperation in his eyes that someone would believe him. That someone would say, I, I believe you didn't do this. I believe that this is just a mean, terrible thing that you've fallen into. And frankly, honestly, I had no idea if he was guilty or innocent. But what I do know is the church abandoned him. Except for one elder. That one elder who kept visiting him when he was in county and then kept traveling to visit him when he went to the state prison. And he kept visiting that man even after everyone else had deserted him because he was a friend. True friendships are rare because they take so much time. Think about it. All of the other things in your relationships in your life, friendships bring someone something that romance can't bring. They bring something that family can't bring. They bring something that business partners can't bring. None of these things are lacking in and of themselves, and they're all important relationships. It's just that there's this uniqueness to friendship. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a preacher in New York City, notes that you have to remember that because our culture will try to push friendship to the back seat, especially, especially for men. I saw this joke the other day that read something like, what, what the, what's, the, what's, what's so amazing about Jesus is not that he was able to perform miracles, but that a full-grown man was able to have 12 adult friends in his life. And that's kind of the perspective that we have. In a Western individualistic and capitalistic culture, friendships will always lose. Western individualists prize romantic relationships over friendships. Keller makes a great point. He says, look at our culture. Do we have a bunch of glossy magazines plastered all over the grocery store checkout stands gossiping about which celebrity has found a new friend? No. It's because we prioritize and we're much more interested in romantic relationships. And there's very few movies that exalt friendships the way that our movies exalt love. I can think of, of two that became big hits. The first was Stand By Me. It was based on a novella uh, by Stephen King that talked about friendship when you're, when you're an adolescent, about that kind of forging experience that, that makes your life meaningful, those friends that last forever. And the second was The Lord of the Rings. And, and Tolkien's work, Tolkien's work is basically about friendship through adversity. It's, it's the story of Frodo and Samwise and this group of friends that gathered together to do a hard thing together. And the reason that they're together is because they believe in the same thing. They see the same truth. But even in our, our culture, even though that, that book had nothing to do with romance, our culture had to put that romantic relationship between Aragon and Erwin. But if you're a real nerd like me and you went to Comic-Cons back when you were a kid... You know that that wasn't even part of the real book, but just added in the appendix afterward. But we pulled that out of the appendix and put it into the movie because we needed it to sell tickets. Western capitalists prioritize career over achievement and achievement over friendship. 
This has so influenced our culture that we hardly even consider the value of friendships when making career decisions. Advancement or better salary that takes us to a different city or a different state is almost always the default answer. I have never heard anyone say, I kept my family and took a lower paying job because I wanted to stay close to friends. Most of the most powerful and lasting friendships I made were in college. And it was between the ages of 18 and 24. That's where most of my true friends come from. And the, and the question might be, why? Is that's when we had time. A college professor told me that I would never have as much free time as I did was I was in grad school. And I was looking at the books I had to read and the papers I had to write and the tests that I had to prepare for and I, the job that I needed to have so that I could pay the rent. And I thought he was crazy when he said that. But now looking back, two and a half kids into my family, a career and a mortgage and everything else that I have to do, and he was absolutely right. That time of college may be the time where you're able to forge your closest friends. And so if you're in that spot in your life, pay attention. Because you're never going to have as much time as you have right now. But you graduate and you move. And you'll put friendships in the back seat because friendship is not a biological or sociological necessity. Lewis notes that without romantic love, you wouldn't exist. And without familial love... You wouldn't have been raised, and without neighborly love, you wouldn't survive crime and misfortune. But friend love, friendship, is the only love that won't push itself upon you, and so it gets missed. But the wisdom of Scripture teaches us that without true friendships, we miss out on something necessary for us to experience the fullness of the God intends in life. And because friendships are discovered, not made, that they must be forged, we end up missing out on this gift that God has given us. And they didn't want to, and I I think we experience this moment where a true friend, a a friend that that is going to stick with you, a friendship that happened because, because you were seeing the same thing in the same way. You acknowledged the same truth. They didn't want you in the first place. They wanted something else. But a friend that loves you at all times, that tells you the truth, will be with you there, even when it's terrible, and they won't let you go to ruin. As Keller notes, the more rich, powerful you are, the more likely you're not surrounded by friends but sycophants who just want something from you, which is striking to me. Uh, I, I heard it said once that once a person becomes president, they may never make another friend in their life because everyone else doesn't actually want to know them. They just want something from them. The more rich and powerful you are, the less likely you are to have friends. But a friend, a good friend, a true friend, gives you good advice, heartfelt advice. And there's, there's an intimacy there. Another man at a, another former church, he shared with me one day after service, it was just the two of us uh, standing in the auditorium about a deep and powerfully intimate relationship that he had. That secrets that were shared and kept and trust 
There was only one person in the world who knew these things about my friend. And they let one another see to the bottom of their souls, good or bad, pretty or not. And they confronted each other with kindness and dignity when they needed to. They only got together like once or twice a year, but, but it was enough. The balance of confrontation and love is the only way to forge a true friendship. Friendships, true friendships are rare and true friendships are discovered. True friendships are forged, formed, and true friendships are empowered. Look at what Jesus does for the disciples in John 15. He takes them as disciples, as followers of a rabbi, whose job it was to study the rabbi and imitate the rabbi and do what the rabbi does so that one day they too could become like the rabbi. And Jesus says to them in that moment, you're not followers anymore. I'm elevating you. I'm calling you friends. Think about what Jesus does in that moment for anyone that will ever choose to follow him. When he elevates them and calls them friend, he says, we are going to look at the world in the same way together. We are going to see the same truth and it's going to cause our hearts to be moved or angered or saddened the same. Look at what Jesus does for his disciples. It sounds totally cheesy, like a mid-80s poster hanging on the wall of a youth group room in a small Midwestern church, but Jesus is a friend. Think about that definition. That Jesus is discovered and experienced. That Jesus, through hard times and, 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 and difficult seasons, is forged. That Jesus is, is committed to us and will correct us and encourage us is kind and comforting. But when everything else falls apart, when your world feels like it has ended and you've made the most terrible mistake that you could ever possibly make in your life and it feels like everything is ruined and everyone has turned your back on you, He's still there, looking you in the eye, reminding you exactly who you are. Jesus is not only our friend, Jesus makes us friends with God. He invites us to engage at the beauty of the world and the complexity of creation. He experience the extravagance of, of joy and the depth of sorrow. And when you're in that place completely captivated by a thing, and you look to your shoulder and see who is there. It is God. God is there. And through the invitation of Jesus' flesh and the power of his blood shed for all, Jesus opens the way for friendship with God. And that's why we study scripture and align ourselves to the heart of God. Because the one thing that God cannot stand is a syncopant posing as a servant. And maybe, just maybe, exploring that friendship, discovering the world God created, and living in, the woodness, living in the wisdom and goodness God intends, discovering God as a friend, truly is the best life.
I'm, I'm taking a few weeks. I've been generously given a, a study break. And if you don't know what that is, it just means that I'm going to keep working, but I'm, I'm not going to be preaching for a few weeks. And David Sessions and Amanda Pittman and uh, Zane are going to be here uh, to speak good word to you uh, for the next few Sundays. But in that time, I want to give you a blessing because this blessing is, is going to have to last a month. May you discover that God is your friend. And may you align your eyes and your heart and your will to see the world the way God does. May your heart break at the things that breaks God's heart. And may your soul stir at the things that stirs God's soul. May you be filled with his love and go in peace.